Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Steve Grosso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, everything is awesome. At least according to the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell sparking an epic rally on Wall Street after pacifying the concerns of investors. The Dow surging 600 points, the SP 500 jumping 2%, the Nasdaq up a whopping 3%. And top strategist Jonathan Golub, who was at the Fed event earlier today, will tell us why he thinks this market is going higher. But there is one big catch. He will explain. First, let's send it over to chief economic correspondent Steve Leeson for more on Powell's message to the markets. Steve, Thanks. Powell give in? Uh, you know, some people are characterizing it that way. I'd say he kind of redirected from a legal standpoint, perhaps. But what he did for sure was ignite a powerful market rally, saying the Fed is not on a preset course. Market wanted to hear that. And that the Fed is, quote, just below the range of neutral estimates. Interest rates are still low by historical standards, and they remain just below the range of estimates of that level that would be neutral for the economy. That is neither speeding up nor slowing down growth. Let's unpack that a little bit. Pantheon, uh, Ian Shepherdson of Pantheon says, quote, it's not as dovish as markets think. So the top of the target range is only one hike away from the bottom end of the range, but it remains three hikes from the middle and five from the top. So he could mean anything along those lines there. Powell also affirmed the Fed's plans to gradually raise rates. Stocks shot up, bond yields and the dollar shot down. But here's what happened in the Fed funds futures market. Actually, a rise in the percentage chance or the probability of a rate hike in December and then a little bit lower for June, which is where the first hike for 2019 is priced in. And the market is very pessimistic about even a second hike by October 2019. Here's the big test. Whether the Fed outlook has really changed will come in about three weeks. That's when we'll see whether Fed officials have changed their forecast from an average now of three hikes in 2019 to something lower for next year. And Melissa, you may have a question for me, but I've got one for you and your traders there. Here's my question, whether or not... Turn the tables there. I'm turning the tables on you. Do these guys want to see less growth and fewer Fed rate hikes? Or they would prefer to have more growth and more Fed rate hikes. And I know what the wise answer is, the <laughs> oh, wise-ass answer, if I can say that on television. The wise-ass answer. Wise yeah. yeah. Which is we want high growth is. and no rate hikes. But I'm telling you, that's well, not an option. You're not going to have would, that option. I would posit that the mar- what the markets were doing in the month of October was anticipating what came about in the data, which caused Powell to directionally change the message to the markets uh, today. And so the markets already saw that there were signs that they, you know, in the cards, that growth may not be right. as strong as right. before. Right. And that's what happened in the month of and October. And under, under that theory, what the market was really afraid about was that the Fed was going to make a mistake, that it was right. on this that the, that bent, the growth was slowing already. Bent, we're going right. to hike or not. That's two curses in a single hit. I don't know. I usually don't do any. But anyway. Potty mouth. But, right, that it was hell-bent on raising rates no matter what happened. And I think one of the things that Powell convinced markets of today is that is not the case. There's a certain optionality to it. Why do you think economists are so hell-bent <laughs> on, on 
positing that what Powell said today is really not much different from what he said in October. Because because economists did not misunderstand him when he said back in October that we're a long way from neutral. Because when he said long way, the only way that a very that, that, a, that a day-to-day Fed observer could hear that is saying, well, he thinks we're like 100 basis points away, which was sort of what we all thought back then. So some people heard long way and they freaked out. They said, what does that mean? 200 basis points, 150? No. We always knew that the Fed, most of the folks on the Fed thought neutral was around three. We were between two and two and a quarter. So yeah, we were kind of a long way from neutral if you look at it that way. But I don't, th- I don't think that that was, was a, a, a major change in policy at that point. Okay. Steve, <laughs> thanks. Steve Leisman. So did the Fed just give Wall Street the all-clear sign? Is it safe to buy again? And do you think what Powell said today is very different from what he said in October? Like three questions. A lot of questions, Guy. There are I don't a lot of remember all that. Because we were having this discussion with Steve, and the economists out there are still saying, you know what, what he said, what he said today wasn't all that different from what he said in October. The markets are taking it in a very different way, though. Became more pragmatic today. And last yes. night we started the show. Pete said that he saw short-term buying in the S&Ps. Tim was talking about how, and in the shorter term, the S&P was vastly oversold to the downside. Was due for and I was having dinner. You were having dinner. Hopefully, you enjoyed it. I did. It was nice. I love watching. Good job. And 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 we also talked about. Now, I thought the market would rally, (laughs) but I thought the market would rally on the back of President Xi and President Trump having some handshake. My best friend. We have a path going forward. I didn't think it would rally on the back of the Fed. So what does it mean now? Well, now it's interesting. I think this gives President Trump a couple more cards to play this weekend, right? The markets rallied now. He can take a more hawkish stance now with the Chinese as opposed to a couple days ago when the market was sort of reeling. So this could actually be bad for this weekend. Well, that gets to the criticism that Trump made to the the Washington Post yesterday, which we were all sort of wringing our hands over, right? And that is that he's trying to make deals and the Fed is not being accommodating. And here we are, all of a sudden, Jerome Powell is more accommodating. Yeah, did we get a tweet today? October 3rd. I mean, October 3rd so was when the market not sold so off, yep. right? So it was a long way from neutral, now just below neutral. That's all you need to know. Granted, trade's going to be a headwind, but this was about the Fed, the sell-off. So we're halfway there. I, I think you could make an argument, though, that the Fed has downgraded the economy. I mean, in other words, what's neutral in an environment where um, you've got fiscal runoff next year? You've got Didn't the QE the stepping back from QE. Didn't the already downgrade the yeah. economy with the, yeah. with the move lower? I mean, wasn't that affect what no. was happening? No. Uh, okay. Yes. Do I think markets are pricing in slower growth? Yeah. And I would go back to Steve Leesman's question that Guy didn't even answer. But um, he didn't ask me. That's true. Well, it's I, I, took it upon myself. I took it upon myself to answer. <laughs> but, but the answer to that question is we would rather see more growth and more Fed. Because that's really ultimately where we'd rather be. As I like to say, a growth scare is a lot worse for markets than an inflation scare. And I think the Fed stepping back ultimately isn't a great thing. Uh, but yes, Powell needed to reiterate that the Fed is going to be data dependent. And yes, I, think there's no I do su- think there was plenty of room for no him to such step thing back today. As a good uh, rate hike, I think the markets want lower rates. Unfortunately, no, I don't. Know. I, th- I think that I with know. growth, people do the calculus. The rates move higher. Risk on equities move lower. Well, it is that we're still at historical low levels in terms of rates, and that's something Powell pointed out. But he also said, look, we are going to be data dependent. Don't just sit there and say we are going to be hiking this many times. And I think he said enough things today that I think people really just said, you know what, we can get our arms around this. He also said the economy was good. Good. 
Not yeah. not not overheating, but good, good. Right? right? So I, I think that everybody read into that what, what they did, and that's why we saw the market react the way it did. By the way, unbelievable paper in the last couple of days in terms of everything being so short-term, Mel, either expiring Friday or going out maybe one more week. But, you know, you talked about the spiders. We had SMH. We had Microsoft. We had Intel. We had all kinds of monstrous buys, the uh, industrials uh, ETF, XLI. Everything very aggressive, everything very, very short. And we did not have volume for three days in a row until today. So rates stay lower for longer, maybe? Or at least there's the possibility at this point. What do you buy? I mean, what do you buy? Theoretically, right, those growth stocks, which were not looking right. so good in the face of higher interest rates, they're looking better now, aren't they? Yeah, I guess. But, I mean, the Ooh, Fed didn't cause the No, yeah. well, the Fed didn't make Facebook go down 30-something well, Facebook percent. Facebook is a little idiosyncratic. Okay, you know? the Fed didn't make Google go down. The extent that Google tra- didn't make Amazon sell off the amount. Didn't make NVIDIA get cut in half. So you can blame the Fed for well, a I lot of things. I think that was the growth value. No, I think that well, was the, the growth value scare or rotation. I think that was the essence of the sell-off sucks. led by the Fed. Well, maybe. What's interesting, mm. though, is we're not talking about trade today. And and, and is the question, is the mm. Fed more important than trade? Yes. And, and, I, and I would argue that they are. And I would argue that the biggest shocks we've had for this market all year have really been with the Fed as a backdrop. Yes, trade indicates that we could have slower growth and we have global headwinds, but the Fed to me is significantly more important. And, and I disagree. Yeah. And the reason I say that is if you look at volatility, even though we're up 600 plus points, volatility, the index itself held in there amazingly yeah. solid, right? I mean, mm-hmm. here we are trading the way we were. If, if indeed people are saying this is it, I think trade is bigger. Quite frankly. But Fed caused the sell-off October 3rd, those no comments. Doubt. And that's there is no doubt, Steve. I, I don't disagree with you on that. I think from October 3rd to here. But let's also be honest about the idea that we didn't have clarity, and the clarity we didn't get in the earnings cycle all really stemmed, stemmed from trade. That wasn't about the Fed. That was more about trade, and that's still in front of us. That's why I think this G20 and why all this short-term paper perfect timing for the short-term paper, right? You've got Powell today, you've got the G20 coming up. And you got the actual Fed meeting and you, also next absolutely. week. Absolutely. So you've got really all of that. interesting setup in terms right. of that paper that's only out for one week. December 7th expiring, events. December 14th right. so expiring. That's really short. Become a sell the news event? I mean, are we setting up such that Trump may have cover for mm-hmm. no deal with China? We have the FOMC, which confirms Powell's views today. And then what do you have? Right. Do you, do you sustain these gains? Well, that, then it all comes down to what happens at the G20, in my mind. It, it, we're looking at the G20 and obviously the Fed. I think we've got a pretty good sense. I, I don't know about the rest of the desk. I think we all agree. But I, I assume we're going to get a hike, right? I think we're going to get oh, a quarter December. point in front of us right yeah. now. Right. right. And then after that, then it's all up in the air. I and think Powell then goes. And study gave today. Right. Back to it's the data speech. dependent and all the rest of the, the words that the normal Fed would give out. Quickly, though, hidden in the Fed, not hidden. I mean, he pointed out, he being Powell, pointed out a number of risks for the market that had nothing to do with the Federal Reserve, not least of which, and we talked about high yield and corporate debt the other night, and we also talked about, we talk, all we talk about is trade. So he pointed out the asymmetric risks in the Although market. Although he said they weren't systemic risks. No. And, and I think, yeah. you know, that, that's important. I think this is, a, this is a speech that the Fed chairman gives where I think he has to be talking about certain components of, of the broader economy. So um, I, I just think that the market wanted to hear something today, and I do think that the Fed has adjusted their tone. There's no question because, again, you had this earlier in the week with Clarida. You had some comments even a week and a half ago, which were a yeah, Fed that seemed to have gone more neutral. But when you're asking how we, when you guys were asking how we heard gotten a tweet today, because yeah, it would have been I a mean, victory uh, lap, right? It, it, I'm surprised we. It would have been it. a victory lap for Trump. <laughs> surprised we. It wouldn't have been surprising if he did. Yeah. Well, right. he hasn't done anything different. Just to button up, he hasn't done anything different. He's just come out softer 
along with what he was doing. Well, so I mean, that's six hundred points. You could say it's a you could say it's a win, but I don't know if it's a win. Our next guest says we are going higher from here, but it won't be the bull market you knew before. Let's bring in Jonathan Gallup, chief U.S. equity strategist for Credit Suisse, who was at the Economic Club event where Jerome Powell spoke earlier today. Jonathan, good to have you. Good to be here. Um, do you agree with our assessment in terms of what, whether Jay Powell said something different? He absolutely said something. Okay. I mean, listen, right. I'm, I'm, sitting at, I'm sitting at the Econop Club, Club lunch, and here's what happens. He speaks, you know, he speaks at a certain time, and about two minutes before, you, the transcript comes out, and everybody gets it on their phone, and they're reading, and they're not listening to his introduction. Mm. And the <laughs> only thing that they care about is he basically says, so let's call it what it is. Guys, we're kind of done here. You know, I mean, right, the futures market was saying that we have one in December, one something in the neighborhood of March to June. And then here's the story for next year. Soft landing. They didn't. It's not like they, they simply were finished with their hiking cycle. They went from zero rate policy. No, no country has ever gone from zero rate policy back to neutral. And he told you today that, that we're going to pull this off. And yes, is growth slowing next year? Of course it is. But we all knew that we were way above trend because of all the stimulus. So if I would have polled all of us, do you think we're going to have another 3% GDP year or 23% EPS? Every one of us would have said no. Although that's what this administration is pressing into the deficit. So, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, I agree with everything you just said. So I think we're on the same side. But you can't tell me that this market, many people don't think that these tax cuts are the gift that keeps on giving. I think they're I, 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 no, listen, I, I wouldn't. I wasn't for the tax cuts. I think that that with a, an economy in, in decent shape, you didn't need to pump this thing um, anymore. And, and Guy, I, I agree with the point that you're making. You, the, the tech sector is not down because of a comment that was made. Um, did Was he the catalyst maybe that it happened that day? Who so knows? the growth value uh, switch that we saw, the rotation growth value, had zero to do with the Fed? Uh, maybe, maybe a small part of it if it was at all. Here's what happened. Positioning across the hedge fund community, they were hugely long. This, this concentrated tech momentum growth trade, somebody somewhere got spooked. They put it, you know, all of a because sudden the Because rates market, were moving higher. Well, I don't think so, because I'll tell you right now, if you look at when, when he spoke in October, look at the Fed funds, you know, futures, 10 basis point move. That, that, it wasn't like the market said he's going to move 50 you know, basis points more. I, I don't think it was. No, so, I think it was, I think it was a, a correction on positioning. So compared to, I don't know, 12 hours ago, you're more, more bullish on the markets now or no? No, I mean, not really. I mean, here's what I think. Not really. No, so he's, here's, he's changed his tone. Well, here's, here's, and, but it hasn't changed your view. Well, because I, the market before was saying that we have two more rate hikes. That's what it said before. Cow, Powell basically said was, I'm agreeing with the market. The market was saying he was never going to move. And, and I disagree with Steve Leisman, who basically said a long way is four hikes. And, and, and the market was saying two. And he basically said today is, guys, it's two. And if that's what it is. So but but we were going to go. I, you know, my read is we're going to go there anyway. So we would have gotten this bounce today. We would have gotten this bounce in three weeks from now. I think we're going to get this one way or another. I think it was. What do you want to be in then in this market? The, environment? I think the big change, though, is that you don't want and, and people hate this. You don't want to be in cyclical stocks going into next year because I think the economy is legitimately going to be weaker. So I just downgraded industrials. I downgraded materials. Banks I had as an overweight. I'm now neutral weight which means I think growth wins again. Tech is good. Um, we upgraded, we upgraded uh, health care because in an environment where you have slightly weaker growth, again, not recessionary, slightly weaker, you, you so buy something. like tech stocks didn't go down because of the Fed in the month of October and they went down for their own fundamental reasons, why I don't do you think like it was, I don't in? think it was fundamental. I think it was, I think it was a positioning thing. I think the hedge fund community. technical sell-off. Technical sell-off. And I yeah. think, so in the near term, 
I think that tech is going to bounce very hard. But, but I mean, Apple, Amazon gave you terrible guidance. Facebook's in a, well, in wait, a, in a, a world of pain on if, regulation. If Google's look, in a world of pain look, on regulation. Take a, look at, take a look at the beats this quarter in all five of the FANG stocks. All of them killed it. And if you look at the response for next year's earnings expectations for the five companies, they were up, they weren't down. So you can say, so Apple, you know, had slightly weaker, you know, results on units, but their revenues were higher. Weaker fourth quarter guidance. Amazon, weaker fourth. I mean, we're talking about the That's what I heard. Look for the broad market. Look at the overall earnings estimates. In aggregate, they're kind of right. smack in line with what's normal. Jonathan, good to see you. Thank you. Jonathan good to be Dollop. here. Jarian, what do you do here? Well, um, to his point, talking about uh, tech, I actually bought a little bit more Intel today. I actually took off a Microsoft position today, so I was moving around a little bit. I'm still long the stock. I took off the options because that was one of those very short terms. Those expire Friday, Mel. They were just buying them yesterday. They moved that much just in a single day to start saying, I'm going to take these off. But I bought a little CVS as well. There are certain names out there that I think have interesting storylines, and so when the options are there, I'm jumping in. Yeah, we flagged healthcare, specifically hospitals, on Monday. I mean, look at the move in THC over the last now three trading days. But Big Cat Pharma continues to trade well. I mean, yeah. Pfizer's up against $45, a level I hasn't seen in quite some time. Okay, well, after the broad-based rally today, a top technician says the bottom is near. Huh. He'll show us the chart that is giving him hope the bulls could soon be back for good. Plus, one stock not rallying. Tiffany down more than 10% after its earnings report, and it could be a warning sign for the rest of the retailers. We will explain it later. It's alive. That's right. Bitcoin is rallying back above 4000 bucks. Is the crypto collapse finally over? We have got the details. We are live in New York City where the Rockefeller Center tree is about to light up for the first Ooh, time this Christmas season. Nice. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Tiffany's. Talk about a buzzkill. The stock getting slammed today. It is down double digits after a earnings report, pointing the finger at weaker Chinese tourism. But the rest of the retailers managing to stage a rally despite this bad news. Pete. You know, the luxury space, uh, there's going to be some ups and downs, absolutely. And I think Tiffany's, unfortunately, one of those that's found itself in the crosshairs of the downs. And, and obviously, if they're pointing towards that, Mel, in terms of the reason for why they missed as much as they did, that's, that tells me that there's a bigger problem 
afoot here in, in Tiffany. So I'd be staying away from the stock right now. See, I, I actually think the stock has had so much pain, and this is such a dramatic move that, no, I don't go in and buy it today. But I'm telling you, at 92 bucks, the stock is not only round trip, but you're back now a stock that's done flat over the last couple of years when they're but growing But why are they going to show, you know, why? what makes you want to say this thing's ready to move to the upside? Be- because I think their core business is actually very healthy. I think they've got two new brands. They've got Tiffany True. They've, they're getting more relevant with a millennial crowd. They're growing around the world in all segments. Is there anything about I think China, luxury, though, that you think will come back about Chinese spending? Well, that was the worries that obviously you overcompensated right. today, all the all the tailwinds. But I like his entry point right here because that was the last time when you said, what are you, what are you uh, excited about? New products, advertising promos, and this is not your parents' Tiffany's anymore. So they're recreating it with millennials, but this is where the stock popped. So you gave it all back. This is the floor in it. Got any chance a blue box finds its way under the Christmas tree in the Adami house for this me? year? For anybody. No. I'm just curious. For you. I'm just curious. curious. You. How do you roll? How do you roll up the Does it have to be a Tiffany's product inside it? Okay. That's a good point. <laughs> they make great, like, vases and, you know, those nice bowls. You get a nice Tiffany You're get bowl. maybe a bowl? Yeah, okay. okay. How about the stock? All right, what do you think about the retail sector? Uh, th- I'm glad you asked, Tim, because they've become great <laughs> trading stocks. Now, you recall on Monday, we talked specifically about J.W. Nordstrom's, and we mentioned the rack. It was the final trade yesterday. That's and, the thing, right? And it's it is the thing. Nordstrom, it's the rack. Mm. And you look at the way the yeah, stock is traded, discounters. from 50 to 64, <laughs> back to 50, found support. We talked about it Monday, and now the stock is up a couple dollars since. And I said on Monday, I'll say again, you're going to start to see Analysts upgrade the name in JWN. All right. For more on Tiffany's plunge and what it means for the retail space, you can go to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. Here's what else is coming up tonight. That's what the market looked like today. And a top technician says there's one chart that's pointing to signs of even more strength ahead. Yes, Bitcoin is rallying. You heard that right. Back above $4,000. And a crypto hedge fund manager says, this is just the beginning. Much more Fast Money after this. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Despite today's stock surge, it's been a rocky road for the markets with the S&P 500 still down more than 6% from the highs. But signs of strength are reappearing. Bob Bassani is at the NYSE to break it all down. Hey, Bob. Hello, Melissa. You know, the S&P is up 3% since bottoming. That was back on October 29th. Technology and energy have been big underperformers since then. In fact, they're still trading down since then despite today's rally, but several sectors have notably outperformed, starting with healthcare up 6.7% since that bottom 
That's led by pharmacy benefit manager Cardinal Health, generic drug maker Teva Pharma, drug distributor Cardinal Health, pharmaceutical giant Lilly, all doing really well here. Retailers have had a nice bounce despite Tiffany today, led by Foot Locker, AutoZone, Under Armour, and even Amazon's up 5% this month after dropping, what, 25% in the last six weeks or so? Now, one big laggard to keep an eye on is materials. I talked about this all day today, particularly the metals and mining stocks. They got pummeled on concerns over a stronger dollar, the trade war worries, and particularly the tariff issues. But many have now come off of their bottoms. And today was a really strong day for them. Big gains in Alcoa and Freeport McMoran and all the steel firms like Allegheny and AK Steel. Finally, another big mover, financials, up over 6%. Second biggest group in the S&P. It's a diversified group, though, not one sector here. American Express, great month, up nearly 10%. Several of the insurers have been particularly strong. MetLife, Chubb, AIG, all up in the high single digits. Banks are up, but not particularly strong or outstanding compared to the rest of the group. PNC, U.S. Bank Corp, and many other regionals up two to four percent. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Bob, thanks. Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange. USB, that was just Nice your job, power. everybody. Yeah. It was so bad, though, yesterday. Celine-like. In terms yeah. of, right, you it got Celine Dion. You know what, Nobody voted you know what happens? We all know this, but I'm just laboring. What happens oftentimes is you get a little bit of a move that's already happened, and people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of this trade. I think that people are afraid. I think this stock does have upside. It's going to take time. It's going to grind. But I love this name, and it's very clean and pure. Are these signs of life that Bob pointed out Excellent. in terms of the markets? I think they're signs of life, but I'm nervous about the financials. If you look at the two's 10 spread is flattening. It's not widening. So I think that's a headwind for them. Growth is still coming in, decelerating. That's a headwind. There's different anomalies. American Express, bullish. U.S. Bank, bullish. But those are anomalies. Oh, I'm glad you asked about the financials. Is today's action a sign stocks have hit a bottom? Let's go off the charts with Chris Verone of Strategus Research Partners. Chris. Hey, Melissa, how you doing? Uh, yeah, we'll start with the XLF, actually. And I think what's been notable about the last couple of weeks is there have quietly been some signs of outperformance here. I think it's interesting. XLF did not make a new low with the market last week, so some modest outperformance there. If we look at XLF relative to the S&P, actually making about three-and-a-half-month relative highs up versus the index. Now, I think ultimately I do want to get this back above the 200. That's about 27.75. That sets a better tone here. But some quiet outperformance, uh, I think, worth noting. And when we look at some of the individual pieces, uh, we talk about U.S. Bank here. Uh, this is one of the better bank charts. And I think what's uh, particularly notable, it bottomed all the way back in May, did not make a lower low uh, in October, really right on the verge here, get it up through 55, it targets uh, that low 60 neighborhood. The best name in the whole group from a trend perspective has really been Amex. Every single time it checks the 200-day moving average, it responds. It did it a few weeks ago, really right on the verge here, uh, making new highs. Good price action there, relative leader versus the index uh, as well. And then lastly, I think ultimately, if the whole sector is going to get in gear, we need some of the laggards to be involved. We have a modest bounce from Goldman Sachs over the last several days. But what we struggle with is there's just so much resistance in that 210, 220 range where this thing broke down from. I think any bounce up to that area is probably an opportunity to lighten exposure uh, with a chart that looks like this. 
Come on over, Chris. Wow, just Steph just like that. Karen. No, she's, she's like that. standing at the other day. Like There's that. no longer dictatorship hey. when it comes to inviting the guests. Her deal. Her deal. I believe I have a voice. You can believe that, but it's not the truth. It's not true. So, in terms of, so is there something wrong with Goldman that's much worse than the rest of the financials? Is it a short here, or just it's it's just something that you can't be long at? Well, it's been telegraphing weakness to us all year. The stock peaked, I think, in early February tried to rally with the market this summer, failed at a lower high. It certainly washed out enough to bounce. But you get to that 215, 220 range, there's a lot of dead bodies buried there. There are people who wish they sold it up there who I think will let it go uh, on a bounce like that. So, Chris, when I mentioned the 210 spread, do you look at these in a vacuum or do you overlay it with the fundamental backdrop? Obviously, you're a technician, but fundamentals have to come into play at some point on the uh, analysis when of you look at the individuals. And, you know, what I think is interesting this year, Steve, is when rates were going up, that was no boon for banks. I mean, that wasn't a very bullish catalyst for much of the year when it should have been. So I'm a little less convinced that the shape of the curve or what bond yields do from here is going to be as crucial to this call as it has been in the past. I do think it's notable today. You took four or five basis points out of two-year yields pretty quickly, and you're about 20 basis points off the highs in two-year yields from a few weeks ago. What we don't want to see we don't want to see Fed funds in two-year yield cross. That is often the sign that the banks can't work when that happens. Steve, uh, Steve Chris, sorry. Yeah. You're Steve. You You're doing? Chris. How about the rest of the world? And I know you follow yeah. emerging markets, sure. which have been kind of a valiant rally back even Quietly. over the last three or four weeks. Does that continue, especially now that the Fed's on hold? Again, from your chart, because we broke through the 50 today on sure. the EM for the first time, possibly since January. Let's wait and see. It's a one-day move. But... This feels like it may be a little bit different this time. Yeah, and I think, Tim, what you've pointed out, and I agree with, you know, they hit the EEM first, right? Uh, That got hit earlier this year. The sellers have moved on from that, and we saw some signs of relative performance start to perk up really over the last month as they went after uh, S&P. So I think from a leadership perspective, given the move in rates, maybe given a little weaker dollar, it's certainly not out of the question you can get some leadership from that part of the world. What I think was a little bit notable about today, and leaves me frankly a little uncomfortable, it was the same leadership. It was tech and healthcare again. I would have preferred to see industrials right there at the top of the list, um, or some of the laggers there at the top of the list. That was a little bit lacking today. Overall, decent day, but I would prefer to see a little better leadership next. Do you think that we need to have that change in leadership, or is it possible that we do have the same leadership as we had before? Well, Why is it impossible that we have the same leadership? I, I, I don't think it's impossible that we have the same leadership, but I think for a healthy, expanding, durable, and strategic move, we're going to need more stocks on the playing field than we've had for most of the year. Chris, thank you. Thank you. Chris Verone of Strategus. Need more a soccer team than a basketball team, in other words, because only... <laughs> what does that mean? Well, oh, a lot number more of players, players are yes. bigger, yeah. It's a court, but you get my drift. To answer your Goldman question, you know I'm a steadfast Goldman have been. fan. But I think this, situa- this Malaysia situation that they find themselves embroiled in is a bigger deal. I think the headline risk is significant. 186 is tangible book. If you notice, Goldman basically traded down to about 186 or so over the last week. It's interesting that Citibank finds itself flirting with tangible book as well. Both those, in Citibank's case, European bank exposure, I believe, in Goldman's case, maybe a real problem with Malaysia. Pete, you agree? You want to see different leadership? Yeah, but I would also say that when you look at the industrials today, the industrials had a very strong day, nice little bounce back today. And I think there are names individually in there that in the industrial space that I like a lot. But I'm in the XLI right now. That's my exposure to that. So 
I think that there's more upside there. If we get any clarity going forward in this whole trade war that we talk about every single day at Nauseam, I think that's lots of upside there. All right. Well, Trump attacking General Motors again today as the president hints on Twitter that new auto tariffs could be coming. We've got all the details. Plus, it's alive. Just when you thought it was time to bury your Bitcoin, the crypto space breaks out today. But one Bitcoin bull says, watch out. The bottom still is not in. He will be here when we come right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. President Trump doubling down on his threats against General Motors after the automaker's major plan to cut jobs and close down plants. Our Phil LeBeau is out in L.A. at the auto show where everyone is talking about GM. Phil. Melissa, for all the focus being on new models shown here at the L.A. Auto Show, there's also plenty of talk about the latest tweets from President Trump. This one in particular, the president tweeting out this morning, countries that send us cars have taken advantage of the U.S. for decades. The president has great power on this issue because of the GM event. It is being studied now. For a point of reference in terms of where the vehicles that we buy in the United States are built, 56% are built domestically. What you want to focus on here are Japan and Europe. 15% of our models are coming from areas where the president has threatened to potentially slap on a higher tariff on vehicles imported from those areas. We talked with the CEO of Volvo earlier today, and he said a higher tariff on vehicles imported from Europe would be devastating. That would really hit uh the Volvo business and the whole automotive business. And I think the losers will be the consumers because long-term cars will be more expensive and, of course, employment. As you take a look at shares of General Motors, yes, they did rally late in the day along with the rest of the market. But this is a stock that's still under pressure as the Trump administration maintains that it will do something about the possibility of the Lordstown plant and the Hamtramck Detroit plants completely shutting down, perhaps within a year, as GM has decided it is not going to have production at those two facilities anymore. For its part, General Motors has said nothing today about the latest tweets from President Trump. That's the story here at the LA Auto Show. Melissa, back to you. All right, Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau in Los Angeles. So will Trump really throw down the hammer on GM? What does this mean for the rest of the auto stocks? Because when you talk about tariffs, you can't just put tariffs on cars made by GM in other places. It's a, it's a problem, right? I mean, autos have their own headwinds. GM has its own problems. Ford's down 23% year-to-date. GM's down already 11% year-to-date. I think the least of their problems is Trump. I wouldn't be a buyer of these names right now until they show some real support and rally on a consecutive basis. I think GM's showing great support. I think it's, in fact, I think it's, it's rallied. I feel like we need to split you guys up. Yeah, split well, your preemptively well, because I have right, coming. Go. But anyway, go ahead. I don't, I don't know if I have well, enough for a two-box. Well, <laughs> I tell you what, I've got enough for both of us. Bottom line here is I think GM, <laughs> I GM is trading well where it should be. It's about to break through the 200-day. But more importantly, how impressed are we that they're going after their most profitable businesses and they're scuttling their inefficient ones? The reason the reason why the auto industry is changing is people don't want to buy sedans. By the way, that's a losing business. GM is very profitable business. They have three so why very profitable the businesses shown that around the profitable it is, business. Now. It is. And, and, and to me, it's down 11 uh, percent, though, Tim. I mean, it's had problems yes, way before Trump. Look, Steve, what's the stock done in the last two months when people have gotten guidance numbers and actually they've gone and they right, I don't know about costs. you, but most people are judged by year to date performance. I don't know what Wall you're Street. talking about. I don't look at yesterday's it's year to trade. Date. Look at you're in a fund. Trade. It's year to date. It's a stock. It's year to date. If, if things are so rosy, the stock should be up. Autos have had problems way before Trump. They continue to have ongoing problems. 
Okay, so look, we've traded a peak auto dynamic for a long time. The autos have been weak. GM is showing that they are changing the habits of the auto sector, which has been inefficient and leaving bad businesses to run. They're cutting jobs. They've never been more profitable. There's record business there, trading at six times numbers. I like it. Tim, I got a question for you. I own GM with you. So my question for Sorry. you is, uh, uh, yeah, but, but I will ask you this. What gets this stock to actually perform the way Steve's talking about right now? Because I, I understand I understand all too well. I don't know what planet you guys are on. The stock's up 23% in the last three weeks. It's actually after, no, 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 after but, numbers and after restructuring. I, I get that. I'm just so, saying that year to date, when you look at it, to Steve's point. It traded, it traded horribly, like hell, a word we've used a few times tonight, for two years. Because people right. were pricing in peak autos. People don't believe that they have an EV business. People Tim, don't believe that June, it's an it business. Can I, can I ask a question? I don't want to be in on any side or in any box. Right. But here's the question that I have. Is the only catalyst for GM at this point restructuring as opposed to strong demand or better yeah, that's than expected all, that's demand? All. Look, the, these guys should not be running a business. Trucks, probably. But they should not be running a business that is only worth owning when we're at peak autos. Okay, look, we pulled a lot of demand forward in the auto sector. We also know cars are more efficient than ever. The reality is they're also, they're transitioning into EV. They're transitioning into robo-taxis. And GM's as much of a play to me as any other car company in the world is on the future of the auto sector. I understand that seven or eight years ago, the United, we, the United States bailed out General I get that. Yeah. Okay, so let's just put it out there. For an ultimate cost of about $11 billion. They okay. and every Ult- bank no, no, and no, every no, airline. No, 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 not but, you know, sure, I mean, sure. But they made a business decision that was the right business decision, and now the president's coming down on them. That, to me, is a monumental problem. I understand GM is a very specific thing, but if companies make decisions that are going to cost jobs and cost factories for good business sense, and you have the, the auger of the president laying above, that's a real problem. That's my concern. It should be But a he's concern. done this with a bunch of companies since he's been in office, and they have not been lasting effects. There's been a lot of bluster. There hasn't been a lot of fault. GM has had he's picked on all kinds of companies. This is, this, is the, this is the most tangible threat, though, in terms right. of saying, we'll put tariffs on the industry, and we'll also take away subsidies. The other one is sort of jawboning, like, we can get a better price they should do better we can get a better price. Right, exactly. It, right. it wasn't, we're going to take something away Without from you. Without Trump, the stock traded from you. 45 in June down to $30. So granted, it bounced off the bottom, but still, we're coming from a $45 price. What brings it back to $45? I don't see it. Even split on the desk here. All right, still ahead. Box surging on its earnings report. The stock is up more than 15% from its low last week. We'll tell you what Wall Street is saying about the report, plus Bitcoin breaking back above 4000 today. Could this be the life-saving rally it needs? A top crypto hedge fund manager will be here to weigh in. More Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Big week for Bitcoin as a cryptocurrency is bouncing back, now trading above 4,000 and rallying about 15% just since Monday. So is this the start of a real rally or just a head fake? Let's bring in Michael Buccella, a partner at Block Tower Capital, a leading crypto investment fund. Welcome back, Michael. Thank you for having me. So you make the argument that you think that Bitcoin is moving from weak hands to strong hands. I thought that's what happened from 20 to 6. So what's happened between 6 and three and change. So it's a long distress cycle, and I think the weak hand to strong hand argument is actually quite relevant now. Uh, the problem is strong, strong money, uh, strong hands are actually quite patient. And so I think a lot of the volatility and the gap risk we see in the market right now is a function of the participants that are still there. Um, and, and I think, as we just mentioned about distress cycles, I think we're actually in, in, in a significant distress cycle in crypto. And the last leg of that is typically the most volatile and most short-lived. And so when you think about has the, has the, has the bottom set in, I think you probably have one more leg lower. Which is how uh, low? 
I, I, I won't make a I won't make a prognostication about where the price three? will go. We're talking below three. It could fall another fifty percent, two thousand from here. Okay. Uh, but I think that opportunity will be very short lived, and I think these the areas the the, the level we're at right now. Mm-hmm. Um, is a great long-term entry point if you're accumulating. And so if you think about the best investors in the world, the Howard Marks of the world, they're very patient. um, And they wait for that last leg of the distress cycle to set in. Um, But the smartest money is moving in, right? You've seen MIT, Harvard, Stanford, uh, Yale, right? They're all entering this space. They're entering through the private side in the venture markets. Which is different from investing in the cryptocurrencies Which is quite different, right? So that's the private side of the market. Okay. And so, but all, most of those portfolios are investing in companies who are building the infrastructure for the broader crypto asset space, which includes the public markets. Okay, so in the beginning, maybe when the weak hands were prevailing, there was the argument that you're, when you invest in cryptocurrencies, you're also investing in the blockchain. You, you cannot separate the two investments. And yet here we are in a situation where we do have institutions investing in the, in the company side of things into yeah. sort of the blockchain applications and not on, to, in the cryptocurrency. We have seen a collapse in the cryptocurrency, but it seems like people are still building there's a lot of building happening. Yeah. So, so is that argument out the window in terms of mm-hmm. cryptocurrency being a sort of measure of the vitality of the blockchain? You certainly should separate the two. That being said, there's a lot of building happening at the crypto asset level as well. Um, and, and a lot of a lot of the smartest engineers in the world are flocking to this space. Uh, but I think when it comes to, you know, the public crypto markets, I think what we actually need to see and what everyone's discussing right now are macro cycles. And I think you actually need to see a different macro cycle than we've seen since the existence of Bitcoin, which has been a rate lower environment, essentially a zero rate environment. And until we see a global rate hike cycle or something of that nature, it's going to be very hard for a risk parity strategy or a macro portfolio manager to, to put Bitcoin into any of its correlation matrices and be able to accurately price risk or feel comfortable putting in some type of risk framework around the asset class. So it, what, I, what I think will be a, a, a headwind for the broader macro asset classes, I think will actually be a tailwind for the adoptance of, of, of the public markets. I'm sorry for being so obtuse, but what, what, what makes a difference what global central banks are doing in terms of the investment uh, thesis for Bitcoin? It was never part of the thesis before. So it's, it's, this is more from, a, from an institutional adoption perspective. So okay. If you look at a macro portfolio manager, they invest across multiple asset classes because there's a lot of history in those assets, and they've seen multiple cycles. We've only seen one cycle in Bitcoin. Bitcoin was birthed in 2008. The, the market's gone one way since How about then. all the charts that people bring in overlaying past bus? Are those cycles or are they not cycles? This is all part of one giant cycle? Because people are saying that we've seen this kind of bust before, and they overlay the charts of the drawdowns of 80-plus percent, and there are quite a few of them in the history of Bitcoin. Yep. Yeah, you're saying we've only seen one cycle in Bitcoin. Yeah, the so boom-bust is- cycles. Again, it comes back to market participants and also mispricing the, the, um, the evolution, basically saying there's value being created in the long run, but we're try- they're trying to front-run that value creation. And that, that's a very difficult game to play. And it's also a very difficult game to play as a swing trader. And the biggest swing trader in the markets are the retail investors. And that's still, that's still pretty much the majority of the volume in the space. And so when I say it's important to have those macro portfolio managers involved, it's, it's because you need, to, you need to really dampen the, the volatility in the space. And that's only going to happen with more professional money management. Okay. Michael, thanks so much for coming by. Thank you very much. Michael Pacella. Tim, well, it's a tough time. You know, the dedicated hands are, are not going anywhere. Um, the sure, question yeah. is whether are some of the smartest guys in the world, like Howard Marks at Oak Tree, um, you know, institutionally ready to do this. They certainly weren't a year ago. They're probably less so now. But I, I do think that central banks matter because I think central banks dictate the cycle of risk tolerance. And I think if we go into a place where you get even less risk tolerant, unfortunately, um, yes, diversification, but not a place I think people are going to be running. I think it's going to be a tougher time. I think you have a big problem with 
cannabis entering the scene, where you have alternate investments taking sort of a, a little bit of the spotlight. And there's a lot of dollars that chase both yeah. Bitcoin investments and cannabis. And you could look at it on a chart. You, it's hard to deny I think money totally came out. totally different, though. I mean, I, I well, get that the, the, you know the new asset classes. Split them up. Split them up. It's the same. From, from right. guys that have these desks, you wind up, they chase the same dollars. I think he, <laughs> Tim and I have the number one amount of two boxes. I think ironic? so, too. I think we should have a little two box counter. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Check out Box. Speaking of boxes, check out Box. Hey. After its earnings report, huh. we'll bring you all the headlines and get instant reaction from Wall Street. Plus, let's get a check on our Kramer cam. There's Jim talking to the Qualcomm CEO after that stock has gotten crushed in the last few months. You can catch that full interview, top of the hour. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more fast. Still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Box, the cloud stock soaring in the after our session. Seema Modi's at headquarters with Wall Street's reaction to the results. Seema. Melissa, thanks to a double-digit rise in revenue and growth in billing, shares of Box are up about 5% in extended trade. But it has been a tough year for the cloud storage firm. Shares are down about 30% in the past three months. Now, analysts at DA Davidson say sentiment was somewhat mixed heading into the print, which explains why the stock is up in the aftermarket. The important thing for the stock to work is to see evidence that underlying growth can accelerate next year. But headwinds do exist. Wells Fargo says Box's business is susceptible to adverse changes in global macro trends. And JP Morgan earlier today wrote that longer term concerns of Box's ability to compete in a highly fragmented market and against companies like Microsoft and Google that have deeper pockets and stronger brand recognition have not gone away. Melissa, sending it back to you. All right, Seema, thanks. Seema Modi at headquarters. So, who likes the cloud stocks? Box well, I mean, Box others? is quickly. Box is interesting. Forty, they had over forty percent growth in deals, more than a hundred thousand. That was really good. And add-on products, over eighty percent growth. That's good. Now we'll talk about valuation, and that's ridiculous. And every move to the upside in this stock since inception has been sold. But Salesforce, and we had a conversation, Pete has something in his eye. I could see you. Hopefully you're okay. Yeah, I was just blinking. <laughs> no, yeah, but it's all good. We talked about Salesforce last <laughs> night. Okay. and I like I was enough. Yeah. I thought the quarter was really good. And it's and the stock built on yesterday's gains, built on it today. And I think Salesforce, can, despite valuation, which we all agree is ridiculous. Would you rather? Good. I like oh, that game. Oh, would you rather? Not Salesforce or Box. Who plays the game Turn here? her mic off. Yeah. Turn her mic off. Here? Salesforce <laughs> or? or Microsoft. Oh, for the beta, I think Salesforce, CRM. What do you say? I own Microsoft, and it's for that reason. It's all about the cloud. And I think the, the growth that they're getting there, and when you see, we talked about this last night, the sell-off that, that hit Microsoft really wasn't all that powerful relative to the rest of what we call FANG and the rest of technology because it's not over overpriced. I think there's plenty of upside when you look I at I think Microsoft. there's an enormous amount of competition. I think the valuations in the space have to be looked at differently. I also think in the software space, again, at some point you have you have a lot of cloud players and, and I'm not sure that Box can really compete with Salesforce. I think Salesforce, at, at this point though, people are starting to wonder what the right multiple is. Their growth is phenomenal. They're dominating the competition. But it's yeah. a huge But at what level? Grasso, can we mm. stick with the cloud stocks? What do you, what do you, can Microsoft. we, can we? I'm going to ask, no, I'm asking you permission. Yeah. Apparently you run the show now. You are in the penalty so, box. Uh, we're going to head to commercial break right now. I would like to talk about Workday. Is that okay with you? Yes. Workday reports tomorrow. Options traders are implying some pretty big moves ahead. Let's get to Mike Cohen, San Francisco. Hey, Mike. <laughs> Hi there. Yeah, so the options market is implying a move of about 6.5% for Workday. That's above the 5.5% average. And we did see well above average put volume today. It traded about four times the average daily put volume. 
And one of the trades we saw that was interesting to me this week was a purchase of the December 14th weekly 141.39 put spread. That traded about 1,400 times for 50 cents. So the buyer of that put spread is making a bearish bet that it could get down to that 139 level. That would be a move to the downside of approximately 5% from where it closed today. So they're betting that it will be a disappointing earnings result. And we have actually seen the open interest in the puts exceed the calls for the first time since mid-2017 in the name. So the sentiment is not that positive despite today's pop. All right. Thanks, Mike, for that. Mike Cohen, San Francisco. For more options action, check out the full show Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Final trades up next. Final trades, Pete. I'm going with CVS. Some huge call buying in here. I think it's going higher. Giddy up. Tim. Not really sure what the stock did yesterday, but GM is going up tomorrow. Steve XLU, just in case this rally isn't for real, ETF utilities. Huge. Hi, Melms. The refiner trade, I think, <laughs> might be back on the burner. It comes out Valero VLO. So calm. That does it for us. You're on fast. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5. <laughs> Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.